Good morning, everyone. <laughs> As you probably heard at the beginning, the pastor's out of town this week, so he asked me to, to fill in. Um, he was a little disappointed because he's just starting the book of Jude and kind of wanted to be here, but the schedule kind of got switched on him, to, uh, so he had to be away this week. So if you um, have your Bibles, we're going to turn to Jude today. And um, also in front of you in the pew is the, um, the card, which is about the, the sermon series that we're about to start in the book of Jude. So if you want to take a look at that, take one home if you, if you don't have it with you. Um, I don't know, do we have the, the word cloud available? Is the word cloud? Okay. Just wanted to reemphasize that we are a Bible-believing church. I know the pastor always likes to uh, make sure that's emphasized. And, and today we're going to really fly through the Bible. We're going to have a lot of verses, so hopefully I don't go too fast. Um, but they'll all, most of them will be up on the screen, so you'll be able to follow along. So again, thanks for the opportunity to open up God's Word here with you this morning. And um, again, hopefully we can just look into Jude. This is kind of an introductory to Jude. We're only going to cover the first four verses this morning. Um, and I also did a, a fourth point. So I don't know if anybody did not pick up one and would like one. I think there's the boys in the back there would be able to get you one. If, if you need one, you can raise your hand and they'll, they'll get you one. So this morning we're going to start the book of Jude. And like I said, the pastor has um, started this series. And it's, it's made because Jude discusses things that infiltrate the church. And this series is going to um, discuss those things that have inf infiltrated the church at large in our society today. Often Christians have been unaware of this infiltration. right? Sometimes you see churches that are following things that you know aren't biblical, but for some reason the people in the church seem unaware. Maybe, they're, maybe they don't understand the Word of God. Maybe it came in and snuck in on them and they were just unaware. The book of Jude expresses concern that God's people not be deceived. So let's open our um, Bibles today to Jude. There's um, only one chapter. It's just a letter. It's not really a huge book, but it's a letter. So if you turn to Jude, we're going to do the first four verses and start at verse 1. So the first word we see, if you can bring up Jude 1 there, I guess it's up here. Yep. What's the first word you see there? Jude, right? <laughs> so that makes you ask, well, who was Jude? So this name could be translated Jude, but it can also be translated, does anybody else know what it might be translated? Judas, right. So it's not Judas Iscariot, right, the, per, the one that betrayed Christ. This is another Judas, and we'll talk about who he, he, he might possibly be. Tradition tells us in the early church that this Judas was the half-brother of Jesus. The half-brother of Jesus. So if you're taking notes there, I think that's one of the blanks there. Besides tradition, we can see two biblical references that could also point to the brother of Jesus being the author. The first here is found here in Jude itself. So if you look at verse um, 17 and 18, if we could bring that up 
on the screen. Jude 17 and 18, it says, But you must remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. They said to you, in the last time there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. So Jude says, the apostles, and they said. So he does not include himself in that group. So if you look in... Um, a passage like Luke chapter 6. Luke chapter 6 lists all the, the 12 apostles. I don't know if we could bring that up. Um, in Luke chapter 6, we see that it, it has all the apostles listed, and then you get down to um, 15 and reading, and Matthew and Thomas and James, the son of Alphaeus, and Simon, who is called the Zealot. And then we get to verse 16, and it says, And Judas the son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor. So, we're pretty sure, again, that this is not Judas, the son of James, because in this uh, 17 and 18, he says they. He doesn't include himself in that group. Another verse we see where Judas, the brother of Jesus, is mentioned is Matthew 13. Matthew 13, if you want to skip there or just follow along on the... Um, the screen here, starting at verse 53. And when Jesus had finished these parables, he went away from there. This is when um, Jesus came to his own hometown, Nazareth. Many of you remember that reading in, in the Gospels? When Jesus came to his own hometown and, and they didn't accept him. And coming into his hometown, he taught them in their synagogue so that they were astonished and said, where did this man get this wisdom and these mighty works? Is not this the carpenter's son? Is not this, is not his mother called Mary? And are not his brothers James and Joseph and Simon and Judas? Just a side note there, um, many scholars believe that Judas might have been one of the younger brothers because he was mentioned last. Um, in verse 56, and are not all his sisters with us? Where then did this man get all these things? And they took offense at him. But Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor, except in his hometown and his own household. And he did not do many mighty works there because of their unbelief. So Jesus said, His own household didn't honor him. His brother Judas would also be included in that. So his own household didn't honor him. We can also see in some other verses, let's go to John chapter 7. John chapter 7. Starting at verse 2. Now the Jews' feast of booths was at hand. So his brother said to him, Leave here and go to Judea, that your disciples also may see the works you're doing. For no one works in secret, if he seeks to be known openly, if you do these things, show yourself to the world. For not even his brothers believed in him. So his brothers were kind of mocking him, weren't they? They were saying, if you want to be known, why don't you go show everybody your miracles and your wonders? They were, they were mocking him because they didn't believe that he was the Messiah. So here's Judas, the half-brother of Jesus. He grew up, again, he grew up in the family with Jesus, right? We don't know their exact ages, but 
They grew up together. They were family. They knew one another. And yet, this Judas showed Jesus no honor. This Judas and his brothers didn't believe in him. So have you ever thought of that as you read through the Gospels, as you read through the life of Jesus? That here, his family, his own brothers, didn't believe in him. His own brothers that were probably one of the closest people to him, yet they didn't believe in him. They dishonored him. They mocked him. And I didn't put the, um, the, the scripture up here, but do you remember when they came with, with Mary and, they, and Jesus was preaching and teaching and they tried to get him and they tried to call him out and so the disciples told him, hey, you know, your mother and your brothers are looking for you. Right? They, they kind of wanted him to get off the scene maybe. But Jesus, remember, that's when Jesus said, who are my mother, who is my mother and who are my brothers, right? So we can see there that even there, his brothers were trying to, to stop him, to hinder him. But then in Acts, so we have Jesus through the Gospels. He died, he was buried, he rose again. And here in Acts, we see he's um, just ascended. He told the disciples and those following him to wait for the coming Holy Spirit in the upper room. And in Acts 1.14, we read, All these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer, together with the women, and Mary the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. And his brothers. So and his, his brothers were there. So what happened? Here we saw how they were mocking him, they disbelieved him, they dishonored him. And now all of a sudden here in Acts, we see that his brothers are there. Why were his brothers who were dishonoring him, who disbelieved him, who mocked him, why were they there? I believe it was the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ that changed their minds. It was the gospel, right? The gospel was presented to them. They were there to, we have to hear it through the word of God. We have the gospel presented to us in the word of God. They were there. They saw with their own eyes, didn't they? It was presented to them right before their very own eyes, and that changed these dishonoring, unbelieving, mocking brothers into sold-out followers of Jesus. And as verse 1, if we can go back to verse 1, says, what does Jude say he is? A servant, right? A servant of Jesus Christ. So he went from mocking, disbelieving, dishonoring to a servant of Jesus Christ. And that's through the power of the gospel. Romans 1.16, Paul tells us, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the what? The power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. So you're here today, maybe, maybe you haven't been in church in a while, maybe um, you just came today, you're visiting, and you say, God doesn't want me. I've dishonored Jesus. Maybe you've mocked Jesus. Have any of you in your past ever mocked Jesus? Maybe you um, even tried to stop the work of Jesus in the lives of others. Maybe you had a son or daughter that was following Jesus, and you said, what, 
don't, don't go to church. What are, you, what are you doing? Why are you doing that? Don't, don't follow that, Jesus. All I can say is that we all in this room, right, we all in this room should be able to raise our hands and say, we were like Judas at one point. We were like him. We've mocked Jesus. We've tried to rebuke him. But it's because of his gospel, because of the good news of Jesus' death and resurrection, it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. So Jude, also known as Judas, believed the gospel. His life was transformed, and yours too can be if you believe the gospel. So I know I spent a lot of time just kind of introducing Jude. That's a tongue twister. Introducing Jude. Um, because he was a man in need of the Savior. So if you're following along in the notes, he was a man in need of the Savior. Just like us. He wasn't, even though he was the brother of Jesus and he grew up with him, right? If, if anybody could be privileged enough to not need the Savior, it might be him because he was so close to him. But no, he, just like us, was a man in need of the Savior. And his life was transformed by Jesus. So let's move on here in Jude. To whom was the letter written? To whom was the letter written? The ESV reads, in Jude chapter 1, we have there, Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to those who are called, beloved in God the Father, and kept for Jesus Christ. To them, and the KGV and some of the others say, to them that are sanctified by God the Father, and preserved in Jesus Christ, and called. They're called, just like the song we sang today, right? We, he called our name and we came out of that grave, right? We're called. So let's look at a parallel or similar verse that Paul writes to the Thessalonians. In 2 Thessalonians 2, verses 13 through 15, we'll have it up here on the 2 Thessalonians 2, 13 through 15. But we ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, beloved by the Lord, because God chose you as the first fruits to be saved through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. To this he called you through our gospel so that you may obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. So then, brothers, stand firm and hold to the traditions that you were taught by us, either by our spoken word or by our letter. So Paul, like Jude here, was talking to the believers. So he wasn't just writing a random letter to anyone. He was, he was writing to the believers, to the church. And just like Jude, that we'll also see here in a few minutes, Paul was saying, stand firm. Hold to what you were taught. Hold to what you were taught. So there was, as we'll see here, there was some major twisting of God's grace that was going on in the audience of Jude. And Jude had to confront it. And I think that's why in verse 2, if you bring up verse 2, we'll see that he mentions mercy, peace, and love. He says, may mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. So when, when there's a conflict, when there's a division, when there's people that are coming against you or coming against the truth, how often are the words mercy, peace, and love thought of? 
right? When you're in a conflict with someone, are you thinking of mercy, right? If you're arguing with your spouse or a friend or are you thinking of mercy? Are you thinking of peace? Are you thinking of love? But Jude, right here at the beginning, he says, hey, there's, there's a conflict going on. There's some wrong things that are happening here. But first I want to tell you, may mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. The Greek word here is, is translated mercy. It can also mean compassion, kindness, right? So even in a conflict, we have to have compassion. If someone misunderstands something, we need to have compassion and mercy, kindness. There's also not a lot of peace, right? When division comes, when there's conflicts, peace is usually not the first thing. But we as Christians should seek for peace, shouldn't we? If there's a conflict, we should try to resolve and look for peace. And finally, when godly division is going on, hate rather than love is personified. If you're arguing with your brother and, and you don't um, have love in your heart, that should, number one, tell you there's something wrong, right? We need to have love for one another, even in a conflict. So let's move on to verse 3. Verse 3. So we got into it a little bit already, but this is the why. Why did Jude write this letter? As we do an introductory sermon this morning, we know who Jude is, right? And now we're talking about why Jude wrote this letter. Verse 3. Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. So you can almost see that Jude was excited, right? And do any of you ever get excited in here? Not too much. <laughs> How about when you talk about your faith with your brothers and sisters? Do you get excited sometimes, right? You, you think about where you were before Christ, just like Jude, right? He was dishonoring, disbelieving. And now you see what, where Christ has brought you. And there's joy and there's peace and there's an excitement about what he's done in your life and also the future of where he's taking us, right? There's a future hope. So he was eager. Jude was, was eager. He was excited to talk about that common faith with them. Um, but something came up, right? What happened? That's, when, that's where Jude was. He was excited, but then he found out something, didn't he? Something changed. He said, I was eager to write to you about our common salvation, but I found it necessary to write to you, appealing to you. Let's go to verse 4, and that kind of gives us a reason for why he changed his... Uh, what he was going to write about. It says, For certain people have crept in unnoticed who long ago were designated for this condemnation. Ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our only Master and Lord, Jesus Christ. So he heard that certain people have crept in. He was going to share this common faith, kind of eager, and he was excited, and then all of a sudden he found out wait a minute, some people have crept in and they're saying some things that are contrary 
to what they've been taught. So ungodly people who perverted God's grace and denied Jesus Christ, when he found that out, he said, I found it necessary, he said, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. So the Holy Spirit led him to change his tone, didn't he? He was going to share about this common faith, but all of a sudden he found out, hey, there's people coming in talking um, things that are twisted and not true. So he changed his tone. There's a time to rejoice and be glad of our salvation, but when the message of the gospel is threatened, when God's grace is twisted, when Jesus is denied, it's time to contend for the faith. When you think of contenders, what do you think of? If I say contender, what are you, what are you thinking? What's the first? What's that? Athletes, right. Sports, right? You think of sports like today, the contenders are, right? So you think of contenders, you think of a sport, sporting event, maybe uh, basketball or soccer or football or whatever it may be. There's contenders. There's, there's two groups that are coming against one another to try and win. And this is what Jude, uh, the image that Jude is using, that we need to contend for the faith. So it's, it's, it's a fight. It's not a, a real fist fight, right? They're not going to go out and duke it out in the back alley, right? <laughs> but this is, a, this is a, it's a struggle. It's a conflict. And we see this imagery um, kind of over and over in Paul's message as well. In 1 Timothy, Paul tells Timothy, 1 Timothy chapter 6. I think we have that verse here. 1 Timothy 6, 12. It says, fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called about, which you were called and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. And then later on, um, we have the second Timothy 4, 7. Paul is telling Timothy, this is later on, this is in the second letter to Timothy. Um, many believe this is probably one of, one of his last letters that Paul ever wrote. And you can kind of see that in this verse, how he's talking about kind of end-of-life discussions, right? He says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. So one last reference here from Paul is to the Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 10. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, if we have that too, we can bring up. 2 Corinthians 10, starting at verse 3. It says, For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. I want you to listen to here. What does he say we, we destroy? We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. So G, again, Judas says, or Jude says, contend for the faith. Paul says, fight the good fight. And he also says that there's a warfare that's going on. The battle is against, like I said, arguments and every lofty opinion. Just any argument or any? No but those that are raised against the knowledge of God. 
So our battle is not against other people, right? Sometimes we can see those, those opinions and those arguments raised through other people, but we're not going against those people. We're going against arguments and lofty opinions that go against who God is. So I also want to point out in verse 3 of Jude that he says, Contend for the faith. If you can bring verse 3 back up. Contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. Once for all delivered to the saints. So one commentator says, in reference to verse 3, that no other faith or revelation is to supersede it. Right? There's not a new revelation beyond God's word that we have, is there? There's not something new, not something uh, fresh that is going to come in conflict with this that we can say, oh, that's, yeah, that's from God. No, he's saying, he's telling us that the faith was once for all delivered to the saints. So there's only one gospel message, isn't there? There's not one for you, and then you can have one, and then you can make up one if you want. No, there's one gospel message. There's only one cross, right? We have a cross that, where is it? There it is. I'm just like the pastor. I was teasing him one Sunday. I said, we have to put a little arrow to let you know where the cross is since it moves around a lot. <laughs> but we have that cross that represents um, the one that Jesus died on. There's only one Savior, Jesus Christ, that came one time to die for our sins. 1 Corinthians 15.3 So, just as it on your bulletin card there, it says there's only one pathway, right? There's not some other message that's going to come along. Just like he says, the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. So there's no new gospel, right? Sorry, Joseph Smith. Sorry, there's no new gospel, <laughs> okay? There's no new lofty ideas that diminish what Christ did. We're to fight the good fight. Hold fast to the word of God, the good news that was once for all delivered to the saints. So let's um, move on to verse 4 this morning. Verse 4. The final verse we're going to study here in Jude this morning is verse 4. And as we read this, um, I want to note that this verse is an introduction to basically what uh, Jude is going to write about this whole letter. Okay? So this is kind of saying, hey, this is why I'm writing this letter. Verse 4 says, For certain people have crept in unnoticed who long ago were designated for this condemnation, ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our only Master and Lord Jesus Christ. So this morning I just want to point out two main points from verse 4. The, the first point is they crept in unnoticed. They crept in unnoticed. Have you ever um, attended a church Maybe you lived in a certain area and you attended a church and then maybe, maybe your job or something moved you on and maybe 10, 20 years later you came back and said, wow, what are they preaching there now? Or what's going on there now? Have any of you ever 
known a church like that where 10, 20 years later you go back and you don't even recognize what's going on. And you thought, how did that happen? How did they let that happen, right? Just like he says, they crept in unnoticed, didn't they? Someone, some group of people, some idea came in with ideas that were contrary to God's word and no one noticed or no one bothered to, to stand up against, to contend, right? Nobody contended with them <laughs> about these ideas. Who has, is anybody here a, a cat owner? Cat owner? Oh, you don't want to admit it? Does anybody know, doesn't want to <laughs> admit they have a cat? <laughs> Not too many. <so. laughs> but when you have a cat, right, and they, they find a, a mouse or a cricket or something, what do they do? They just go up and get it like that, or what do they do? Huh? They pounce on it, but what do they do first? Kind of, right, they stalk it, and they get down low, and they sneak up slowly and quietly. That's just like what Jude is warning us. They crept in unnoticed, right? That little cricket or that little mouse, he didn't even notice the cat coming in, right? And that's why the cat does that. Wolves are also similar. Paul warned the elders at Ephesus in Acts chapter 20. If we could bring up the Acts 20 verse, verses 28 through 31. This is when uh, Paul, he's, he's heading back to Jerusalem. But on, on his way back, he says, I'm going to stop at Ephesus I want to give some final greetings to the church there and to the elders especially. And he called the elders out, and this is what he said to them. Verse 28, Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God which he obtained with his own blood. Right? Jesus, he uh, purchased the church with his own blood. It was a high price. So the, um, I'm sure the elders understand this here and other leaders in other ch churches, but Jesus purchased the church with his blood, a high price. And that's why he says, pay careful attention, right? And verse 29 says, I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Verse 31, it says, Therefore, be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease, night or day, to admonish everyone with tears. So this is, like I said, this is one of the main things that um, church leadership has to do, isn't it? It's, it's a, a shepherding role is what? What do shepherds do? If, if you think, oh, a shepherd. What, what is a shepherd doing for the flock? Hmm? He watches over them, right? He, he provides food, water, but one of his main roles as a shepherd is to watch over them, to protect them, right? That's why he carries staff to guide along, but he's also to protect, right? protect from wolves and, and, and other predators. So I know, I'm sure in Sunday school, when you guys were going through Genesis, and you learned, even from the very beginning, right, Satan was, was twisting things, wasn't he? Right? When he was at the tree, he didn't just come up with some 
obscure, strange thing. He took something that was familiar and good and just twisted it, didn't he? That's the same things that Paul is warning. He says, men will arise speaking twisted things, right? Just a little, just a little twist. That's, that's where the danger comes in. And that leads me to the second point of verse 4. Number 2, it says, these were ungodly people. Ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our only Master and Lord Jesus Christ. So this week I was talking to the pastor just briefly about um, doing the sermon, and we were talking about what are, what are some things that believers divide over, right? We know that definitely there's things that we shouldn't be dividing over, right? The color of the carpet. I like fast songs and I like slow songs, and right? We shouldn't be dividing over those things. Not that we can't have an opinion, but we shouldn't be dividing over and splitting churches over. But there are some things that we should stand up for and we should contend for. And I think we can all agree that um, there are some things in the big, not necessarily this church, but in the church large, at large that we shouldn't be dividing over. Jude, however, he does give us two good reasons here and two false apostate types of beliefs that we cannot accept as a church. And here they are. There's two things that it mentioned. First is they pervert the grace of our God into sensuality. They pervert the grace of our God into sensuality. <clears throat> God's grace has been provided through Jesus Christ. We read about it in Romans 3. If you have the Romans 3 there, you can bring up, starting at verse 21. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe, for there is no distinction. How do you, um, in verse 23, you guys probably, almost all of you might have known this verse. It says what? For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. In verse 24, and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. So our salvation is by what? By grace, right? Through the redemption that is in Jesus. Noah Webster, um, this is from the original Noah Webster, Webster Dictionary. He says that grace is defined as the free, unmerited love and favor of God. So there are those who have taken this free, unmerited love. What does unmerited mean? It means we didn't earn it or we don't deserve it, right? And the favor of God and turned it into a license to sin. There's people, you've probably heard in our culture, you know, God, is, he's so loving and he's so forgiving that he, he, he doesn't mind if I sin, right? He doesn't mind if I live this certain way or do these certain things. <clears throat> Have any of you ever heard that? It could be on TV, it could be friend, loved one, neighbor. You know, I know the Bible says it's wrong, but God is so loving and forgiving. It doesn't matter. Have you ever heard of that? I've heard even some believers say, <clears throat> I could never earn my salvation. 
which is true, is it not? Can anybody here earn their salvation? No. But then they take that and they just twist it a little bit, right? Um, Because by grace we've been saved, right? So I don't have to worry about the fact that I keep on sinning. You know, that's no big deal. God's, God's gracious. And I'm not saying that as Christians we never sin. Of course we sin and we need God's grace. But we can't keep on sinning, can we? And just shrug our shoulders and say, God's gracious. Doesn't matter, right? God's grace is great, but we can't abuse it. Let's look at Romans chapter 6. Right? Paul just talked about God's grace. And then he comes into chapter 6 and he says, What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? Verse 2, by no means, how can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? I just want to skip down to verse 11 there of chapter 6 as well. Verse 11 says, So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let not sin, therefore, reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. So if someone tells you, I can be a Christian, but I'm still going to live in this sin over here. There's no problem with that. Beware, right? Beware. (laughs) What are some of the sins that people continue in? You guys think of any sin that maybe some people say, I'm a Christian, but... I'm still going to keep doing this. Anybody think of something? About maybe anger, right? Have you ever seen somebody, well, I'm, I'm angry, but that's because that's just how I've grown up and it doesn't matter, right? <laughs> or maybe there's other sins, maybe there's other sexual perversions that people say, well, that's, that's how I was born, right? That's, I was born that way. But instead of coming and saying, I'm dead to sin, I'm here, I'm yours, Lord. So this is the perverting of the grace of God into sensuality. And something we should be all alert for in our lives and also in the church. All right, secondly, in verse 4, it says, The ungodly, they deny our only Master and Lord, Jesus Christ. So the first thing is, they, they abuse grace in order to live in their, in their um, sensuality and their, in their sinfulness. And the second thing is they deny our only master and Lord Jesus Christ. I don't have the, the verse here, but in Matthew, Jesus said, So everyone who acknowledges me before men, I also will acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men... I also will deny before my Father who is in heaven. Paul tells us, if we um, turn to Titus chapter 1, he's telling Titus here in chapter 1, verse 15, To the pure all things are pure, but to the defiled and unbelieving nothing is pure, but both their minds and their consciences are defiled. They profess to know God, 
but they deny him by their works. They are detestable, disobedient, unfit for any good work. So we have to be on the alert, right? The Bible tells us that the ungodly, unbelieving, profess to know God, but they deny him by their works. So the ungodly say, I believe in God, right? Do any of you, can any of you think of someone, maybe in the current state or the current culture that says, I'm, I'm a believer, I believe in God, right? But yet, by looking at their works, we can see what? That they, they deny him. They don't truly follow after him, they deny him. We can see through their works. The Bible says, by their fruits, we will know. Okay, so um, in conclusion here, I guess, I don't know if the musicians want to make their way up here in a few moments, but just to recap real quick about what um, we talked about this morning. First, Jude is an author, Judas. He was an author, and he was just like us, right? Did he need Jesus as his Savior? Well, of course, right? He... Um, he dishonored Jesus. He didn't believe. He mocked Christ. But when the gospel was re revealed, he believed and was transformed by the power of the gospel. Are you here today? Have you dishonored Jesus? Have you maybe not believed him? Maybe you're here today and you say, I just haven't believed him. I mocked him. But now you realize that you need his grace. Um, just in a minute, after the service, there will be some elders up here that um, if you'd like to pray with them, they'd be willing to pray with you and to share the gospel if you have any questions. Um, but today we also learn to contend for the faith, right? We don't just say, oh, well, those ideas are strange and they don't really line up with the Bible, but oh, well, right? We're not to do that. We're to contend. We're to stand firm, like Paul says. Also, Paul says in Ephesians, put on the full armor of God, right? And guard against twisted doctrines and Jesus-denying ideas. So let's be alert as we go through this series. I'm sure the pastor is going to flesh this out more and even give more details. But let's, let's be alert in our own lives first, right? What ideas have crept in unaware? Are there things in, in your life, like the, like the mouse, or the, excuse me, the cat going after the mouse? Are there things in your life that have kind of crept in and maybe you didn't notice, or maybe some ideas that you didn't notice? Let's be alert. And then finally, let's also pray for our pastor and the session, right? To see when the grace of God is being twisted as a license for sin, and to see when Jesus, our Lord and Master, is being denied. As we contend, as we stand against evil in our age, let's remember what we talked about in verse 2. May mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. Right? So as, let us show the mercy, peace, and love of God to those who don't know him and to those who may be confused about the one and only true faith. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this book of Jude that... Um, that warns us, that tells us, be on alert to um, these ideas and um, these people that may come in unaware, and we need to be alert. Help us to see 
when people try to twist your words, when people try to um, deny who you, who you are and, and what you've done. Lord, help us to be alert and aware and especially be with the pastor and the session. Help them to, um, to be alert and to see whether it be people that come in or just ideas that maybe from culture or from um, other national voices or people around us, Lord, help us to be alert as brothers and sisters, but also as leadership in this church. We pray for them, give them wisdom, give them open eyes, and let them see, we pray. And But most of all, help us to live with your love, with your mercy, with your peace. In Jesus' name, amen.